0: There's nothing more frustrating than when you plan a whole series or a unit and then all of a sudden you're rushed and you don't have time for the assessment and you're cutting bits out. And it's disappointing because you have put the time into planning that and you're expecting that the kids are going to really enjoy those lessons. And then all these events pop up
1: and you can't do it. Welcome to Rainbow Skies for New Teachers, where we're all about bite-sized tips and simple strategies for bright and busy new teachers.
0: If you're in your first few years of your career and want to make the rollercoaster ride of
1: teaching, more fun, streamlined and stress-free, you're in the right place. We're Ashley and Alicia, the dynamic duo from Rainbow Sky Creations, and we're excited to be your teacher mentors on the go. There are rainbows ahead, my friend. And together, we're unstoppable. Let's get into today's episode. Here at Rainbow Sky Creations, we acknowledge the Darro people and the Wujak Noongar people, the traditional custodians of the lands on which we record this podcast today, where we live, work and learn. We pay our respects to their past, present and emerging elders of this nation and supports the cultural, spiritual and educational practices of First Nations people. Hey, Ash, and welcome to today's episode. Hey, Alicia.
0: So good to be back. I'm super excited. Today, we're going to be talking all about the seven habits of a
1: highly effective teacher. Oh, so good. And I think sometimes we feel like we may not always be the most effective, but we've got some real great tips today that are going to help you be as effective as possible.
0: Yeah. And I'm wondering if some of you already do some of these
1: tips that we're going to share.
0: But firstly, let's talk a little bit about habit stacking. Have you heard about it?
1: I have. I think you like do it? I try to do it. I was chatting to my physio and he was saying to me, Leisha, you really need to start habit stacking. And I was like, What? So this is when you build a new habit onto an existing habit or ritual to make a meaningful change into your everyday life. So I'm going to give you a non-teacher related one. I have a really sore neck and when I'm working in front of the laptop too much, I know by the end of the day because my neck is really sore. So he said, why not? You're always brushing your teeth. You do it in the morning, you do it in the evening. So start to habit stack and start doing your neck stretches whilst you're brushing your teeth. I was like, oh my gosh, that's genius. So I start to do that now. What how about you? And Alicia's got really good teeth, you guys.
0: This <laughs> side note, you know, I have it stack in my morning routine and The other day, I actually left part of my habit stack out because I was trying to change my routine. So I love to drink coffee in the morning. Anyone who follows us on Instagram would know that. I get up, go for a walk. My husband feeds the kids breakfast, so I get out of that hectic morning time. And then on my way back from my walk, I stop at my favorite coffee shop, get a coffee, come home and eat breakfast. Anyway, I've been talking to a few health professionals and they've been saying, you shouldn't be having coffee so early in the morning. You should have your breakfast, wait an hour or two and then have coffee. So I thought, look, I'll give it a go for a week and see how I go. And I survived without the coffee, but I found I
1: didn't want to go on the walk
0: (laughs) because I wasn't getting that little reward at the end of it. And I learned about habit stacking for the first time in that book called Atomic,
1: Atomic Habits.
0: Atomic Habits, that's it by James Clear. Such a great read.
1: We'll put the links in the show notes because I have signed up for Blinkist, which gives you a really condensed version of lots of information books, because I'm not very good at reading them and highly, yeah, highly recommend. So habit stacking is achievable and we can definitely look at today's episode and talking about ways that you could habit stack as well in the classroom. And we're just having a little think about it going, oh, you're probably already habit stacking and not even realizing that you are like your morning routine when you get into the classroom or your evening routine. For example, I kind of ditched the classroom jobs because you have a really great suggestion with classroom jobs, which was PA of the day. So I only did what Ashley suggested and trialed it out. So (laughs) I didn't have someone always changing the date because I found it just became hard with my younger students. So whenever I was cleaning my whiteboard, I would add on, okay, let's just check the dates being changed. Let's check the timetable sorted and, you know, making sure at the end of the day that I had my desk tidied up and my lesson plan are there and just checking off my lesson plan is done. So, I was ticking off kind of three things in one go. So, there are so many ways that you can start to incorporate it into your work life to make yourself more effective and efficient.
0: Definitely. And then it becomes automated, doesn't it? Mm -hmm. Actually, that ties into our very first strategy of how to be the habits of a highly effective teacher. Our first strategy is highly effective teachers use their time efficiently and habit stacking really comes into that, doesn't it? Absolutely. Absolutely. Some examples of how they use their time efficiently, this is one that like I swear by, they mark student work as they go so that they don't have piles and piles of books at the end of the day that they need to mark. Or worse still, I worked with this teacher once and this is okay if you do this, but you don't need to, there's another way. (laughs) She would take home books in the holidays and mark the entire work for the term in the holidays. And it would take her all the holidays because she'd say, I just don't have time during the term. So, what a way she could do any of the things that she loved because she was too busy marking books. So, that's one way, marking books as you go. But also, did we talk about the five-minute rule last time or was I talking about that on Instagram? Doing things, if you can do them within five minutes, doing them straight away. Replying to emails, if you can do that straight away just going ahead and doing it. What else can efficient teachers do?
1: I I definitely like it when you know there are regular things that you do each week and just incorporating, slotting that into your routine. So in terms of like going back to the marking, I always found with marking, I might get around most of my class with their marking. And at the end of the lesson, I would say, leave your books open and make a big pile at the back. And just before I'd sneak off to recess, I would be like, I'm going to have five minutes to quickly just check, tick, mark. And with your previous colleague, that would definitely be something we wouldn't recommend because you want to give your students instant feedback or as relevant feedback to help guide your teaching and guide their learning. We'll definitely do another episode about marking, but that would be something where like your walk, where I'd be like, if I get this done now, I get to go to the staff room, have a chat, get something nice to eat and then come back ready to work. But yeah, using your time and working out as well is doing a little I guess, time audit of yourself and be like, I'm finding like I'm always stuck at work and have a think, what is taking your time? Is it marking books? Is it lesson preparing? And just have a think on what could you do to make it easier? If it's lesson preparing, what resource can you go find that's going to save you time that you can use for the whole term? You know what I mean? Like where's that open-ended task you could use and use it for all your maths activities for that term? So for sure. Sometimes you might need to work out where your time's being taken up. If it's emails or replying to emails, then allocate time in the day to check your emails. And also try and
0: find ways to cut corners.
1: I think as teachers,
0: we find the long way to do things, but it's okay. Like it's not cheating if you find a quicker way to
1: do something. No, maybe it's like the older generation kind of feels like it's cheating. So I hope the new generation coming through, it is not cheating for you to do something quicker and more efficiently or even, oh my gosh, outsource it. I was going to say outsource it. Sometimes like, you know, as an adult, I don't like cleaning the house. I've realized. And you were definitely one to go, Alicia just outsourced it. I'm like, oh my gosh, but I can do it. I was. Hang on, my time where can I have value in my time of outsourcing things? So sometimes with teaching, you might need to outsource it by getting a resource or by talking to another colleague and saying, hey, I actually just need some help with this. Not that I'm not efficient or successful or accomplished, it's just that I know my time can be used more efficiently elsewhere. Sure, or even getting your
0: students to do things. So looking at the classroom environment and making it a shared space. And instead of cleaning the paintbrushes yourself, you put a bit of extra time aside at the end of the lesson to do that. I thought before when you were going to say outsource, I, was thinking, I thought you were going to say use AI. I was like, <laughs> AI is coming. It's coming from Alicia.
1: <laughs> you know, I 100% support AI and the ability it can give to save you brain power.
0: Big fans here at Rainbow Sky for AI for sure. Yes.
1: And I know there is a big series of episodes coming about AI and how you can use it to support you and to help you. Not to do everything for you, but we'll dive into that another time. So going into our next point, number two, it kind of lines in with the marking and knowing where you're going. So an effective teacher, they're going to plan ahead and know where they're heading with their lessons, with what's coming up in the term. So if you think about your daily work pad, that's there to guide you in terms of knowing what's going to be coming up next week. What can I prepare? How can I make my next week or next fortnight easier if I know book weeks coming up or swimming lessons are happening? So you're not maybe over planning for those weeks because you're just not going to cover the content.
0: Yeah. And so you don't get caught by surprise with events that pop up as well. Absolutely. There's nothing more frustrating than when you plan a whole series or a unit and then all of a sudden you're rushed and you don't have time for the assessment and you're cutting bits out and it's disappointing because you've put the time into planning that and you're expecting that the kids are going to really enjoy those lessons and then
1: all these events pop up and you can't do it. I always used to under plan in terms of with my science, my history, my technologies, my plan that way I would do for the term, I might only plan it for seven weeks because I knew in a 10 week term things were going to come and interrupt it and things would be pushed out. So if I knew I had content for seven to eight weeks, I knew it just either gave us more time to focus on elements, whether it was our, you know, working towards our end goal, my summative assessment tasks for the students. Um, and sometimes with maths and English, just planning for, if you've got a 10-week term, just planning for nine weeks, because you know there's going to be, you need a bit of a buffer zone. Sure.
0: So that's really clever. Or even with, with your maths, planning for four days out of the five days of the week, so that you have that buffer day if you need to go back and review something, if your kids just aren't getting it, like you're giving yourself that time. Another little quick tip before we move on to our next habit that I love to do is in my planner or my daily work pad, the week before an event happens, I always jot that down saying swimming's coming up next week or reports are due next week so that I have a week's lead up in preparation so I just don't turn the page and think, oh my gosh, it's grandparents day this week and I haven't done anything about it or I've over planned or I've already got Wednesday all sorted.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Even nowadays I'd get my digital calendar and be like, I have a staff meeting happening every fortnight and I'm just going to schedule it for that term. So I don't need to think back. And if it pops up and it doesn't happen, it's like, woohoo, surprise. Do the same with merit awards. Do the same with if you knew swimming was coming up or any sort of event and you want to do it digital. Because I know we're all about variety here. Yeah? You can use your planners, you can use digital as well to help you. So that is another little one. For sure.
0: A digital gal. I'm a paper gal. All right, let hit me up with number three.
1: They are on top of data collection and reporting from day one. Oh, gosh. <laughs> yes, you don't want to be Alicia in her first, second, third year who was pulling all-nighters going, why have I not put anything into my spreadsheet for the whole term? What was I thinking? Don't be Alicia which is another one with habit stacking. I'll give you an example. You do spelling tests, you do spelling revision. And I know there's a big movement on change with it, which I think is fabulous. But usually you're getting data in terms of how well students are going with learning their phonemic awareness or phonemes, graphemes, all that jazz. So habit stack by you mark it, or the students market with you, and then they come up and give you the results straight away and you put it right away into your spreadsheet. So you're doing it immediately and it's becoming automatic. And that's how you can use data collection by going, I've marked my students' final writing piece. Okay, I'm gonna put that data in straight away or the next day. Don't leave it for ages. Just get it in as quick as you can. And it starts to become automatic and this habit where you go, I mark, I record the results, analyze it. How am I gonna use that to direct my teaching, get in touch with parents, find some goal settings for students and work from there?
0: For sure. I'm a type A person and way more highly strung than Alicia is. And I don't consider the assessment mark and completed until it is in my assessment book. So I've got all of that down and ready to go. And then it makes life so much easier when it comes to writing reports because you've got it all there. You're not going back, having to collect it, put it all in. It's just all there ready to go and you're ready to sit down and write your report. So, I think that this one is so important. Start collecting that data or data, as Alicia says. I wonder if you say data or data. (laughs) We cover both camps. (laughs) Yeah, let us know. (laughs) But do that from day one. Okay, number four. Number Their main focus in the classroom is on relationships. Yes. You've probably heard this one before, but highly effective educators, Maslow, before their student's can bloom. So in other words, we need to meet the students' basic needs in the classroom and they come first. So then their optimal learning can take place. We want them to feel comfortable. We want them to know that it's a safe space. And if they don't feel comfortable, if they don't feel safe, then learning really can't happen. And I know that as teachers, it's so hard because we're always pushed to move towards that data and that collection. I was just speaking to some teachers over the weekend that were saying that, that all their assistant principal cares about is collecting the data and seeing the movement of the kids but they were saying really what matters is that the kids are ready to learn and we need to focus on those relationships before we can get to that and these girls were so right and they're not they're not teachers that have been in the classroom for a long time. They were fairly new Mm -hmm. to teaching. But I kept saying to them, you are absolutely correct. Keep focusing on those relationships because we want our students to feel safe and secure. And we need our classroom management to be under control. A
1: hundred percent. When we let the stresses of the system in terms of get results, get them moving, you're going to see things start to unravel in your classroom. And if you start to feel that, alert, alert, all you need to do is hit the pause button and go, all right, we've got a bit disconnected as a team in this classroom. How can we bring those relationships back together? How can I make students feel connected, feel safe, feel heard, feel validated. We all want to feel validated and it doesn't matter if you're a little human or a big human. So if you're getting that gut instinct of being like, oh, I'm feeling stressed. My kids are feeling stressed. Something's got to change. All it is, is you just need to slow down, slow down and find those times to connect and find those fun times. And I think um, Jen Foster, who we love, good morning, Ms. Foster. She talks so much about classroom management, behavior management, but it's about having those times to regulate. School is so busy, life is busy and we just need to find those pockets of time in the classroom to slow down. One thing I love to do when we're learning and maybe I knew things were getting stressful because I would get tension headaches every week, like tension migraines every week at my school. And I was like, something is not right. one thing we always used to do was turn the lights off and do work with lights off or just put some car music on and it would just slow everything down. And you could see it. You could see that hype. And it just simmer down in the classroom. So work on those relationships, nurture those relationships because you're going to see the results happen when you take the time to nurture those relationships.
0: Sure. There's a quote going around on Instagram at the moment saying something along the lines of your students aren't going to remember what you taught them, but they're going to remember how you made them feel. I probably Mm -hmm. mucked that up. I know that that's not as concise as what is coming up on the socials, but
1: that's so true, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. And I bet you remember your teacher from school who made you feel special. I still remember my year four teacher, Mrs. Burrows, and it's because she made me feel seen amongst a crowd of kids. And you want to be that teacher for those kids in your class like that.
0: For sure. I actually ran into mine. Miss Babbick was her name. And a few years ago, we actually were sitting in a leadership course together. <gasps> I couldn't believe it. She sat down and I said, excuse me, Miss Babick, I'm Ashley Longhurst. <laughs> and she said, oh, Yes. I don't know if she remembered me or not, but I, I told her, I said, I loved you so much. You made me feel so special. What grade okay. was this? Year
1: three. She was yeah. actually leaving the school that year and I cried. Oh, <laughs> you're that kid. <laughs> I was Num- that kid. <laughs> Number five is effective teachers are learners themselves. Lifelong learners. I think it's really important that we bring that love of learning into the classroom because it's contagious. It catches. So, great teachers, they are reflectors. They're willing to try new things. They have a growth mindset of, oh, I can't do it yet. They take risks, problem solve. They're open-minded. Oh my gosh, open-minded, so important and dedicated to becoming better. We don't know it all. No one does. Maybe Google.
0: (laughs) Google does help, but we're always asking our kids or the students in our class to have a growth mindset, to step outside their comfort zone. And it's good for us to do that too, even just to see what it feels like,
1: because sometimes it really is uncomfortable. Oh, absolutely. And I see it with my little one. We definitely bring this into our household. And I broke something the other day and my little Lena looked at me and she went, it's okay, mummy, accidents happen and we can fix it. And it's like, (laughs) Yeah, we can. And it's no big deal. It's no big deal if we make a mistake. It's funny when she comes home from daycare, she goes, Mommy, I was a little bit embarrassed today because I did X, Y, Z. And it's like, oh, my gosh, like that's what we need to be talking about, that it's okay to be embarrassed. It's okay to be vulnerable. It's okay to be our authentic selves. And if you bring that into the classroom, that is a habit you're going to instill and see students take that home with them and probably have some really real conversations with their parents at home and be like, oh, my gosh, this is what they're talking about. (gasps) This is you know great. Great. Right.
0: For sure. That's how you're going to be the standout Miss Babic. Yeah. Absolutely. Okay. Number six.
1: They have a positive attitude and are team players. Oh. Yeah. Move aside
0: Debbie Downers.
1: Every school has one. The
0: resident Debbie Downer.
1: <laughs> yep.
0: Naming no names. Naming no names. We don't <laughs> need those negative Nancy's. In our life at school, you need to be a team player. Being a team player is what will make you successful as a teacher, but also
1: it makes it more enjoyable. Yes, Oh, I was listening to something and it was talking about like what's more impactful, positive, impactful on your life in a not so good way. Should you push more on the positive talk or push less on the negative talk? And the psychologist was saying, you really want to kind of clamp it down on that negative talk. Like that's Mm. what's going to really get stuck putting those words out there into the universe. So we're not saying don't talk about having a bad day or that frustrating student. It's just more if that is your narrative every single day about my class is so hard, these kids are so hard, teaching has changed, I don't like it, I don't like it. That's just going to permeate through your system. But you can have a day where you're like, oh, I'm so frustrated, but Let's move the needle forward by putting this in place and I can see it's going to get better and we're going to try new things. So that's what we mean about looking for the positives in a situation. But we agree that you're allowed to feel what you're feeling. But kind of think of the five-minute rule of feel it, move on from it and get going with life. You're going to feel better for it.
0: I was listening to a podcast the other day that was saying that if you're thinking negative thoughts then you start seeing more negative things. So you're thinking the negative thoughts, you're seeing more negative and it's just building upon each other. But then this opposite is true with positive thoughts. And I remember when we were teaching in Dubai, Alicia, I was Mm. going through one of those times where I was feeling a bit down about school and I got into that negative trap. And one of the things that I did to change it was I picked back up again, my gratitude journal. And just every night before I went to bed, I just listed three things that I was grateful for, even if it was the most simplest of things. And it really did help.
1: Yeah. I would agree with
0: that. Number seven.
1: They are ordered and organized. Yes. Yes. You should focus on being as (laughs) organized as you can for what works well with your brain. For sure I mean, highly affected okay.
0: teachers have
1: systems coming they from a type b in
0: place I'm talking over <laughs> you
1: but i'm like coming from a type b teacher do this <laughs> you will appreciate yourself for it
0: and one of the things that alicia and i always say is that i'm the type a and she's the type b in our business of rainbow sky creations which is really great because we can actually see it from both perspectives so for me organization comes quite easily and I enjoy it. And then for Alicia, it's a completely different perspective, but both of us can agree mm. that if you are organized, life is a lot more seamless and not
1: as stressful as a teacher. Absolutely. When you're having those hard days and you've put systems in place, also known as organized, it makes it easier to do those tasks when you're having that tough week. So definitely for me, I know I thrive when I'm in a functional, organized system, especially when I have it, you know, set out for that term or, you know, this is what I always do at the start of term. This is what happens when life gets hard in the middle of the term. And at the end of the term, we tidy up everything, put it in a nice bow package, and then we're ready to start fresh the next term. So putting that time into having your assessment folder, your Mm. spreadsheets, what else would you have, Ash, that would help you be organized?
0: A planner digital or paper, but have that planner so you can jot things down. You know when events are coming up. Also, just recently, not too recently, but in the last sort of six or seven years, Alicia and I have been using a professional development diary so that all notes for professional development go in the one spot. And Alicia didn't for a while. And I kept saying to her, use this because this is going to help you, especially when you have to go and log your professional development for accreditation. And she may disagree with me, but she did turn around a couple of years later and say, thank you so much (laughs) for that because now it's a lot easier for me. But also you're not always thinking, oh, where was that thing? Or I learned that point and I want to go and check on it. You know exactly where it is. Yes. And that saves you time and energy. The other thing is get your Google Drive all ordered and set up. So folders so you can easily find things and save things as you go. You're gonna thank your past self in the future when you do that.
1: Yes, I absolutely agree with this. Don't be the teacher that has to go around to your colleagues and go, so what was that PD we did for the last two years? Cause I'm due for accreditation. I need to input it into my profile. <laughs> <laughs> don't
0: that be was that me. teacher. Yeah, don't don't
1: be that teacher. <laughs>
0: so there we have it. That was seven habits of a highly effective teacher. I wonder how many our listeners do.
1: Yes. So quickly, number one, they use their time efficiently. They plan ahead and know where they're heading. They are on top of data collection from day one. Their main focus in the classroom is on relationships. Number five, they are learners themselves. They have a positive attitude and are team players. And lastly, they are ordered and organized in brackets to the best of their ability. Good one.
0: (laughs) Before you go... If you haven't grabbed our freebie to help new teachers, you need to do that. We have linked it in our show notes, so you can easily just click on that link and go and grab it. But please go and grab it because in there, we have got checklists to help keep you organised. We've got lots of information that really ties into all of these habits that we've been talking about to be a highly effective teacher.
1: Absolutely. Go get it.
0: Go grab it. Also, while we're asking for things, if you have loved this podcast, go and rate and review. We would be so appreciative.
1: And if you can't wait for the next episode, well, we're going to give you a little sneak peek. We're going to talk about three things new teachers need to stop doing. What could they be?
0: I know we're always telling people what they should be doing or what they could be doing. But next time we're going to talk about things that we need to stop.
1: Yeah, you can do this
0: which is a good thing because there's so much on teachers' lists. Absolutely. We want to lighten that load. Yeah, that's right. We're always talking about things we should or could be doing and teachers have always got added things to their to-do list, but we want to lighten that load and take away some things that you really don't need to be doing. So we'll see you chatting about that in the next episode. Until then, there are rainbows ahead, my friend. And together
1: we're unstoppable.